Like all of you, I'm on this journey. Only mine started 24 years, 12 weeks, five days, two hours, 36 minutes, and 14, 15, 16 seconds ago. This journey was not of my own choosing. It was set in motion by God himself long before my days came into being. And it's always been his plan to accomplish the unimaginable with me. 27, 28, 29. I've come so far, too far to turn back now. So no matter how hard this journey becomes, I will stay this course. I will not flinch, I will not blink, and I will not cower. There is no room for fear on this journey because I know my God is with me and he's bigger than anything this world can throw my way. Circumstances and setbacks will not dictate this course. 42, 43, 44. Instead, I'm reaching out. I'm reaching out for all that my God has for me. 56, 57, 58, 59, 60. Okay, we're digging back into this series called Hard Times. If you have your Bibles, jump with me to Genesis chapter 39. If you're not familiar with Scripture, that's going to be the first book of the Bible. This is going to be the easiest you ever have it to find a passage in Scripture. Genesis chapter 39. And while you're going there, let, let, me, let me bring us back in the room. Let's get back to what we figured out, discussed, and left here with last week. We're, we're studying the life of a guy by the name of Joseph, and the reason we chose Joseph is simply this. Talk about a guy who had hard times. I mean, when, when you take the things that are going to happen in this guy's life, when you begin to stack them one upon the other, you and I will be sitting in this room scratching our heads saying, how in the world, how could anybody go through what this young man, he begins the journey at 17 years of age, how could anybody go through what this guy went through and still be faithful to God? I mean, that is absolute. His tough times are backbreaking. And yet you and I are going to have the opportunity to watch a young man navigate hard times at a remarkable level, and he is going to blaze the trail for you and me on how we ought to respond when the bottom falls out in life. But here's the interesting part of Joseph's story. Not only are his hard times worse than probably anything you're ever going to get asked to navigate, his good times are better than you will probably ever experience in your life. This guy's going to go from the bottom to the top, he's literally going to be made the second most powerful man in the country that at that moment rules the then known world. Pharaoh is going to turn to Joseph and say, run the show. He's going to turn to the rest of the Egyptians and say, whatever Joseph says to do, do that. If you need me, I'll be in my room taking a nap. And Joseph literally ends up running the most powerful country in the world. He has more influence. He has more opportunity. He has greater wealth at his disposal than any of us in this room is ever going to know. And in that moment, honors God. 
So not only are his lows lower than ours, his highs higher than ours, but here's another interesting moment in the life of Joseph. He's going to be given the opportunity to get even, to get back with everybody who ever harmed him. And he's going to have the wherewithal. He's going to be in a situation where no one would question when he reaches out to get them. And literally, God is going to deliver into his hands the ones who've wounded him the most. And in that moment, he again will honor God. And what we said is there's, there's an overriding principle. There's a, there, there's, there's a statement, there's a question that happens in this story over and over and over and over and over and over again that if you and I could begin to incorporate that statement into our lives during hard times, it changes the conversation. And the statement was simply this. Through every bit of it, the low times, the high times, the moments for revenge, Scripture says over and over again, and the Lord was with Joseph. And we said, look, when you and I get to the lowest of lows, the highest of highs, if you and I would simply remember to ask this question, what would somebody in my circumstances do? What would somebody in my marriage do? What would somebody with my financial struggles do? do? What would somebody with my retirement portfolio do? What would somebody in the midst of a rebellious child or a friend who betrays do if in that moment they knew that God was with them? And we said, the truth be told, that's why hard times end up being such hard times, that most often as believers, when hard times hit, you and I become practical atheists, that in the moment when, when the bottom falls out, we all of a sudden go, God, where are you? Why did you leave me? How come my prayers aren't working? And somehow, just like a little child lost in a grocery store and mom is only one aisle over, we begin to weep and cry and say, God, how have you left me here? But if you and I simply asked in that moment, what would anybody do in a marriage like mine when they were out of juice and they were worn out and ready to give up? What would anybody do in a financial dilemma like mine and the creditors are calling? What would anybody do who was exactly like me if they knew that God was with them? And it changes the answers. It suddenly clarifies hard times in our lives. So we're going to go today and we're going to learn a second principle, a second question, a second moment that helps you and I navigate hard times. So again, background, you remember the story of Joseph. He grows up in a dysfunctional home. Some of us will go, amen. Uh, his father plays favorites, clearly loves Joseph more than the other brothers. It brings up great, 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 great amounts of jealousy. He actually gives Joseph a coat of many colors so he could rub it in his brother's face. His brothers see him one day walking down the road. They simply turn to each other. They're so fed up. They're so frustrated. Scripture says they couldn't say a kind word to their brother. And the plot is, let's just kill him. Let's just kill him. And so they grabbed Joseph. The Bible says they threw him into a cistern, which is just a fancy way of saying an empty well. And while they're plotting, all right, so, you know, you throw, you know, stab him. What are we going to do? Here comes a caravan down the road, and in mercy, his brothers then turn and say, hey, you know, you know what, why not make some money from the situation? Let's just sell our brother into slavery. 
And so now Joseph finds himself on the road. A young man who in all likelihood owned slaves now is one. And as he rides off to Egypt, he's asking himself, I wonder if my new master will beat me. I wonder how much I'll bring on the auction block. And we simply said, what would a 17-year-old who was growing up in a dysfunctional family, beat up by his brothers, sold into slavery, now finds himself in a foreign land with a foreign language, what would a 17-year-old do in that situation? And we said, Joseph does exactly what any 17-year-old would do, who knew that God was with him. It's a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable story. And now we pick it up, because surely everything gets better now, right? Surely, now that Joseph has navigated this, surely now that Joseph has done all this, surely all of a sudden God shows up and the story gets better. Chapter 39. Chapter 39, beginning in verse 5. From the time he, that's speaking of a guy by the name of Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard, who just happens to be Joseph's slave owner. From the time Potiphar put him, that's Joseph, in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing on the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in his house and in his field. Now, if you're Joseph at this moment, aren't you kind of going, hey, God? So you're blessing Potiphar because of me. It would be really, really, really cool if you would bless me because of me. <laughs> I've been faithful. I've been doing the right thing. What, could you just bless me because of me for a little while? The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because, after all, by the way, you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing against God? Wait, wait, wait. You get what just happened. Joseph just got stuck in a no-win situation. I mean, think about this. He's doing what's right. He's, just, he's simply behaving. He's, he's, he's living this moment with unbelievable honor. And in the middle of that, God lets him get into a no-win moment. I mean, if, if if he gives in to this woman, if he does what she's asking, then he violates God's law. If he, if he does this, he's going to betray his master. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't succumb and go and sleep with her, you ever heard that saying? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned? This passage. What do you do if you're Joseph? And you go, hey, 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 
I've been doing everything right. I've been obeying. I've been living at a remarkable level. There's a whole bunch of people in church in Chandler going, man, you are really a great Christian. And now you allow me to get into an absolute no win. A darned if I do, darned if I don't. Now what? And do you hear Joseph's response? How? How could I do that to my God? Wow. Because let's be honest. It is really, 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 really hard to be faithful to God when it doesn't feel like he's been faithful to us. See, it's really, really hard to say, no, 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 one more time, I'm going to do the right thing. I don't care what the consequence, I'm going to do what God, I'm going to do, I'm going to do the right thing even though it doesn't feel like God has done anything for me lately. I mean, think about what he's done for Joseph. He's allowed his brothers to beat him up, thrown into a cistern, sold into slavery in a foreign land. And now, God lets him get into a no-win situation. And I'm going to stay faithful to the God who's allowed all that to happen in my life. Let's be honest. It's really, 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 really hard to stay faithful to God when it feels like he hasn't been faithful to us, isn't it? And so Joseph's answer is pretty confusing. How, how could I do that to my God? Here's why this moment is hard for you and I to navigate, and Joseph doesn't seem to have much of a problem. Because truth be told, most of us in this room believe you and I have entered into a contractual relationship with God. That the contract, we may not say it out loud, we may never express it quite this way, but we've got the gist. And the gist of the contract is simply this. Okay, God, God, I'll do the things you ask me to do. I, you know, even though I think sometimes they're kind of silly and I'm not sure why you made up that rule and okay, I'll obey that scripture and all right, I'll go to church even on the Sundays that I'm tired. Okay, I, you know. I'll do the things you've asked me to do, but your side of the contract, your obligation is, then you have to do good things back. I do good things for you. I'm faithful. You have to do good things for me. You have to be faithful back. If that's the case, then God is clearly, you ready? Clearly in breach of contract with Joseph. Because Joseph has done nothing but good, 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 and so far, God has done nothing but disappoint, 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 disappoint. God is in breach of contract. See, you and I do this. How many times have we gotten to a moment in our life and we said, look, look, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know it's wrong. I know Scripture says don't do it. But here's the problem. I wouldn't even be considering this. I wouldn't even be in this moment if it hadn't been for the fact that God has let me down all the way up till now. See, see here, here, here's the deal. Look, I, you know, I know. I know I'm dating a little gal that I shouldn't be dating, and, and I know she doesn't know my Jesus, and I, I get it, but, 
Truth is, God didn't bring me any good girlfriends. She's the only one that said yes more than once. You ready? So I deserve to disobey because God hasn't been faithful, breach a contract. No, no, I, 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 I get it. I, I probably have no business on the computer late at night looking at that. But truth be told, with what's going on in my work right now and all the stress and I just got blamed and it wasn't really my fault and, and all the pressure I got going on in my life, if, if, and, and I've been, I mean, I've, I've gone to church more in the last six months than I've gone to church in my whole life and still God's not taking the stress away. So, if God didn't, then, you ready? I deserve a little bit of sin in my life. Breach a contract. And you and I have rationalized sin a hundred times that way. See, it's really, 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 really hard to be faithful to God when it feels like he hasn't been faithful to us. And don't you dare, don't you dare, because some of us who know the story are going to run ahead and go, no, 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 you don't know how this turns out. I mean, wow. Because you've got to remember, in this moment, Joseph has no idea how this turns out, and you won't either. When you live the moment in which it feels like God has been unfaithful to the contract. <coughs> so what does Joseph know that you and I don't know? How come he can navigate this moment and you and I struggle so deeply with it? If anyone, you ready? If anyone had the right to sue God for breach of contract, Joseph does. And yet hear his words, you ready? Hear him again. How could I do that to my God. Grab your Bibles. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians. It's going to be almost to the back of your Bible. You can work back to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you find the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 6. Starting in verse 9, 19. Here's what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? Ready? Here we go. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You ready for the answer? There's no contract. There never was. This has always been an issue of ownership, not contract. Let me see if this helps. Let, let's say this next week. You, you look over your finances, you start adding up all the numbers, and you go, wow, uh, if we're going to make this thing work, if we're going to land this in the right place, we probably need to get rid of a car payment, so we're going to sell one of the cars. It's not comfortable, it's not convenient, but we're going to sell one of the cars. So you put it on Auto Trader, week, week and a half later, gentleman shows up at the door to buy your car. 
And as you're doing it, you know, he's asking you all the car questions, maintenance and all that stuff. And, you know, why are you selling the car? And you go, well, answer is it's, it's a little tough right now. We're feeling uh, the whole economy like everybody else. And it's going to be rough. We're trying to figure out who drives who and when and who keeps the car. But, but we're going to figure it out. We're just trying to get rid of a car payment right now. And so we're selling it. We wouldn't do it any other time, but we're selling the car. So he gives you the money that you're asking for, and you hand him the pink slip, the title to the car. And he leaves, car sold. Next day, you hear a knock at the door. And he comes back and he says, you know, I've been thinking, I, I was just buying this car because, you know, I, I just thought it'd be nice to have another car around the house and maybe use it for some hauling and stuff. And he said, uh, you need the car worse than I need the car. And would it be okay if I loaned you the car back and you could drive it for a while till you get back on your feet? Well, sure. I mean, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that would be, a, I mean, so you, wow, yeah. You realize that, you ready? You realize that the transaction just changed everything. See, when that car was your car, you could have taken it four-wheeling if you wanted. Why not? You, you, could, have, you could have said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it get trashed out and, I'm, you know, I'm not going to wash it at all, and who cares if I eat food in it while I'm driving? I mean, it doesn't matter. It's my car. But now that it's his car and you're only borrowing it, if you're a halfway decent individual, you're going to take care of it differently, aren't you? Because it's not your car. It's his car. You get what Scripture just said. That the moment you and I became believers, that when you and I got to that moment, we said, look, look, I've been living my life my way, and my way is not working very well, and, and, and besides that, I get that I've done some pretty cruddy stuff, Scripture calls it sin, and, and, that, and that Jesus had to die on the cross to make that right, because if I tried to make it right, I'd miss heaven trying to pay that off. That when you and I made that decision and let Jesus Christ be our Savior, what was Scripture just said, and in that moment, you were bought with a price. And you ready? And your pink slip changed hands. And it's not your life anymore. which simply leaves you and me in the moment that says, whoa, 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 what would anybody do who found themselves in a no-win situation? Who, who found themselves in a moment when, when they said, look, look, this is completely unfair and God hasn't been faithful to me and God hasn't kept his part of the contract. What would a person like that do in that moment if they suddenly realized there is no contract? God owns me, and I belong to him, which means I simply need to live this moment the way anybody who finds themselves in a no-win situation would live this moment if they knew they belonged to God. Thus the answer, how? How could I do that to my God? How? What would anybody who was me do 
in a moment like this when they're dating and now the one they're dating is putting all sorts of pressure on them to be physical. And, and, and I say, well, you, God, I don't have a whole lot of other options, and I know that's not the right thing to do, but, you know, the truth is, God, you've got me in this situation. What would a person do in that no-win if deep down in their heart they knew they belonged to God? See, so what would somebody who is you do if they'd gotten the layoff slip at work, and now, and now they find themselves in the no-win situation that now they've finally got a job offer after three months. The only problem is the job offer they've got right now means working on Sundays and working midweek, so now you have to kind of put your spiritual journey on hold. What would a person do who found themselves in a no-win situation like that? if they knew that they belonged to God? What would someone like you, in exactly the same circumstances that you're in, who found themselves in exactly the same financial situation that you find yourself in, do? If they knew the choice was either pay my bills or tithe. You either have God disappointed in me or Visa mad at me. What would that person do if they knew they belonged to God? <laughs> and suddenly answers change, don't they? And the course becomes pretty simple. You need to get the moment that, that happens in the life of Joseph here. This isn't, this isn't easily navigated. He gets to the... You realize the temptation that you and I watch here is real. That, that Joseph is sweating bullets in this moment. You say, well, then how, how do you know that? How do you, how do you know Joseph's sweating bullets? Because he flees. He runs from the room. Okay? And if you doubt that, if you doubt that Joseph is sitting there in that moment and says, no, 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 if I stay here one more instant, I'm going to do something really, really stupid. If you don't think that's happening in Joseph, ask any man in the room. Okay? Because, guys, let's be honest. If there is an unattractive female throwing herself at you, are you running? You're going, try again, sister. No thanks. Right? But you got some gal throwing herself at you time after time after time, and you suddenly feel yourself in the moment of saying, I'm about ready to give away everything. You run, don't you? And that's exactly what Joseph does in this moment. In this moment in which he is facing temptation, in this moment in which, think about this moment. In this moment in which God has not been faithful. And, and now all of a sudden he finds himself facing temptation that's about to push him over the edge. Watch what he does. He runs. He, he does his very best to create as much distance between the temptation and himself as he possibly physically can. Matter of fact, within the church office, this has become known as pulling a Joseph. This is interesting. You hang out with uh, 
young Christians, they do just the opposite of this. Years ago, I was youth pastoring, you guys know that, and we'd taken a whole bunch of kids to the beach. You know, there's, there's an intrinsic problem, or at least hurdle, when you take kids to the beach, and that is simply this. There's always one young lady who has just decided she knows how to get the boys to pay attention. And that becomes when they get to the beach, she dons a swimsuit that is less than appropriate. And when I say less than appropriate, you get what I mean. So we knew, we, we knew that. You know that if you're ever working in church and you, you take kids, you, you know what's coming. And so we had already thought ahead and we had gotten the biggest, baggiest t-shirts we could possibly find. So we're going to take this little girl who's come to the beach wearing less than is appropriate and now we're going to cover her up with the biggest, baggiest t-shirt. So sure enough, here came the moment. Amy's there, and uh, we went to Amy, and we said, Amy, uh, here, here's your uh, free gift uh, today, uh, <laughs> big baggy uh, T-shirt. The thing that we had not thought through well is that the big baggy T-shirt we bought was white. I'm a guy, okay? I don't think of these things. So, so we, we give her her big white T-shirt, and, and in the midst of swimming in the ocean, uh, she has an equipment malfunction. Which means that despite the fact that we've given her a t-shirt, now that it's wet, it's not doing any good. And Amy uh, comes out of the water and walks up to one of the young men uh, there standing on the beach, who, by the way, she was interested in. And as she's standing there, uh, uh, he notices the equipment malfunction. <laughs> and to his praise, you ready for this? Here's what Tim did. Tim goes, oh, See, he pulls a Joseph. He starts, he starts walking away, which deeply, deeply, deeply confuses her. So she begins to follow him. He, he then feigns talking to his friend. Hey, uh, you know, uh, yeah, isn't it really cool? Yeah, it's fun at the beach. Who happens to look over his shoulder and see the equipment malfunction. So now two guys are turning, and they're running away from this little girl who is chasing after them. Before it was all said, there were four guys running from this little girl, which was really weird. I mean, if you watched it, it was just hilarious on the beach. But, 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 but. Really, really, really cool for a youth pastor to watch. Because you get, you, get, you get that's not the typical response of a high school guy in a moment like that. And those young men in that moment simply chose to do what any young man would do given that moment, if he knew he belonged to God. Which makes it all the more interesting that you and I are so committed to getting as close as we can. See, you, you watch a baby Christian, you watch a young Christian, and, and no, I know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm just watching I'm just observing. I don't want my friends to think I've gotten really, really weird, so I'm still going to hang out with them. I'm just not going to do what we used to do together. Isn't, isn't it interesting that, that baby Christians like to dangle their legs over the edge? 
And, and isn't it intriguing? Isn't it intriguing that the only issues they really want to dangle their legs over the edge on are the ones they are most susceptible to? It's the areas of their life they're the most deeply and profoundly tempted in. See, look, look, look. If you're a guy in this room and, and, and porn's not an issue for you, then chances are you're probably not dangling your legs over the edge on the issue of porn. But guys in this room who struggle with porn, guess where they're dangling? See, if, if you're a gal in this room and, and gossip's not an issue for you, then, then you're probably not hanging out with other gals that gossip. But if you're a gal who likes to tell the seedier side of the story, I, I can pretty well guess who your friends are. Isn't it interesting that the place we choose to dangle our legs is the place we are most susceptible? Now, let me just ask you a question. If you're absolutely committed to not doing that to your God, why are you leg dangling? Wouldn't, wouldn't a Christian committed to say, no, 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 I can't do that to my God be as far away from the edge as they could, especially in the issues they were weakest in and had the most consistent pattern of failure in because, guys, guys, here's why this is a big talk. When you and I face hard times, when you and I are living in a moment when it feels like God hasn't been faithful, when you and I live in a moment when we go and God hasn't done his part of the contract, guess when you and I are going to get tempted the worst? Because here, here's the deal. You and I get tempted by our own lusts, and you and I get tempted because we got an enemy. And you get in the middle of hard times and you get in the middle of a moment when it looks like God hasn't answered prayer and God's not showing up and God's not keeping his end of the bargain. Guess what the enemy is going to whisper in your ear? You deserve it. And if you're leg dangling, you and I both know what you'll do next. Wouldn't a believer who said, whoa, 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 this isn't about a contract. This isn't about I do good, God does good. This is about I belong to God, and I would never do that to my God. Wouldn't that, Christian? Get as far from the edge as they could. Wouldn't they pull a Joseph? with sin. So you and I end up in the moment. What would a Christian who's exactly like me, who's having to live through the finances that I'm having to live through, that's having to live through the marriage that I'm struggling through, who has to face the no-win situation that God's allowed me to get into, what would that Christian who's exactly like me do if they knew deep down in their heart this isn't a contract? But I belong to him. And suddenly hard times get really, really, really clear. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we simply come to this moment. And God, truth be told, 
we probably should have had this conversation before. We, we probably shouldn't have waited till things got tough to have this talk together. We, we should have probably gotten to this moment, already have said all these things in the room. But God, here we are. <laughs> and we're simply asking, make our hearts soft. God, help us, help us not just to be some, a conversation that we have in the room, but God, instead, make this reality in our lives. Make this change our lives because we've said this together. And God, may, may we simply be a people who as we face the hard times of life, simply ask the questions, what would anybody who was me do in a moment like this, in a marriage like this, in an economy like this, and what would anybody who is me do if they believed God was with them and that God owned them? And God, we already know. We know what we should do. Give us the courage. In Jesus' precious name, amen.